Oh, now that's definitely a drag car. And this is Fast Matters, the everything drag racing podcast brought to you by American Drag Car. This installment of Fast Matters is brought to you by American Flotech, Arizona Differential Specialists, Torco Racing Lubricants of Arizona, Roadrunner Converters, Micro Import Service Incorporated, Wallace Motorsports, Growler Racing, and by American Drag Car, where being fast matters. Hi, I'm Hal Sanguinetti. I'm your co-host, along with Jeff Safranek. Jeff is the founder and the promoter, I guess we'd say, of the Drag Car program. I'm just an announcer on the West Coast here who's been going to the drag racing for 40-some-odd years. I own two front-engine dragsters, a cackle car, and actually a half of a top fuel car. So we'll have plenty to talk about. I can cover that part of it. Jeff is really good with bracket cars because he's been doing that longer than I've been going to the drags. Anyway, introduce you to Jeff, and he'll tell you a little bit about the program. Hi, I'm Jeff Safranek, and Hal, just to get you clear there, or clear up somebody, cackle car, I don't know if everybody knows what a cackle car is. Okay, cackle car in this case is a restored uh, top fuel dragster from 19, in my case, 1972. That's the Walton Cernian Moody car. It was... uh, officially the second car into the five-second bracket and is one of the all-time money-winning cars of all time. We found the car in the Midwest and have restored it with the help of the original builder, Don Long, and we take it to events and fire the Dale Armstrong-built motor on 100% pop. I just run the good stuff. I got tired of mixing. Every time I spill something, there's $5, you know, at the price of nitro. We run it at 100% nitro, make big flames, let people sit in it, and just enjoy one of the classic cars of drag racing. That's what a cackle car is. Gotcha. Love it. I love to hear that, especially the 100% part. Yeah, but you don't have to pay for it, Jeff. That's what true. is it now? $45 <laughs> a gallon or don't something? Don't ask like me, that? you're the one buying it. <laughs> anyway, drag car is a very unique program. It's, it's, it's a bracket program of sorts, but there's no breakout. Yeah. Yeah. We. It, I didn't call it a bracket program when I started it. I didn't call it a bracket program, but Ron Shelley, one of our racers, he insists it is a bracket program. And when you get right down to it, it really is because when bracket racing was started, it wasn't started with the intent of spot dropping and holding time and all of that. Sandbagging was frowned on. And throttle stops and delay boxes and all that stuff. What's that? We don't know. I mean, (laughs) they didn't know back then. Um, So... In a sense, drag car is more of bracket raising as it was supposed to be or introduced as not not to put today's bracket racing down. I get it. The 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 strategies and stuff that go into the t- today's bracket racing there's something there, but not all of us like that game. I'm Abs- one of those. Absolutely. Uh, I think those of us that have been around drag racing longer appreciate your program more than say somebody who comes in right now. The problem is people who are regular bracket racers now are missing out on a really fun program. And Jeff's going to tell us how it works. I feel like you're right about that. Um, How it works. Uh, So we run qualifying runs. They're time trials, as you would call them in bracket racing. They're called time trials. We call them qualifying runs because we're actually putting you on the ladder according to how you're qualifying uh we use your times to um assign you an index which we used to call an adjusted index but now we just call it an index the category is called comp star eliminator 
It's basically a cross in between bracket racing and NHRA's comp eliminator. So you will get an index. <clears throat> you will be handicapped. The slower car gets to leave first, but the first car to the finish line wins, period. Period. The only real exception on that is there's a certain amount of breakout on the first run only. No, not on the... F oh, okay. So there is a disqualification barrier. Okay. That is 15 hundredths of a second. If you run more than 15 hundredths of a second under your first round index... First round only. No, it's not first round only. It's your first round index. So whatever index you have for first round, that's your baby all night long as far as this DQ barrier goes. That's what I meant, a first round. Um, we're talking about the same thing, okay. except we're confused. Okay, as long as you don't mean that it only applies to first round, because it applies throughout the race. If, for example, you're on a nine-flat index, your DQ barrier is 885. And if in the final round you run quicker than 885, you'll still be DQ'd. Doesn't, okay. It's not just a first round deal. See, I'm learning something here. I thought it was just first round. Ah, okay. And uh, you can adjust, you at your request, you can adjust your index. Yes, there's, Only a number one of direction. Things, there's a number of things that can change your index throughout the night. So, for example, if you're on a nine flat index for first round, doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be your index all night. However, the 885 DQ barrier that does stay all night. So, <clears throat> so what if you realize it's getting cooler and your car is running faster? You can't ask for a lower index? Yes, you can. We give you one chance. Actually, there's two chances. Before the, f before the start of first round, we give you your assigned index and you have the option of lowering that if you believe you can run faster. Right. I remember doing that. Okay. And then at any point during the race, you're allowed to do that one more time. So if you discover, uh, you know, in well, like second said, round that you can run faster and you want to yeah, the cut some down. temperature goes down 10 yeah. degrees after the sun goes down or whatever, uh, track gets tackier, you can, you can make that adjustment. And I think right now, probably the biggest question to anybody who doesn't run drag car or doesn't know how it works is, well, why would we want to lower our index if the first one there wins? And the reason why is because we do have penalties for running under your index. Even though you still win, there's a penalty or yes. a possible penalty, we should yes. say. So the easy way to memorize it is three for, your first three are free, and then every two after that costs five. Here's the meaning. Whatever your index is first round, you have a three hundredths of a second cushion. Meaning if you're on your nine flat, 897 or slower is good. All night long, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But once you exceed that three, every two after that costs you five. And it's, it's a progressive thing. Um, well, that's just like Competition Eliminator is. It's no, it's actually not. Comp Eliminator is is sandbaggers love comp eliminator because if they run i think they're allowed five tenths right if they go five tenths under index then more they, than five tenths under index then they their get index hit with a hit. penalty but it's they don't call it a penalty because it's not levied as such okay, if they run if they go 55 under their index gets moved 55 or right, 500 500 right, that's it it is a form of a penalty but it doesn't progressively get worse unless you go quicker the next round 
If no. you go 55 under the next round, they hit you again. But with only five. Fine. Okay. You, you do that. If you got a lot of rounds and you start getting hit with five every single time, pretty soon you're going to run out of room. Not Yes, but no. See, because what those guys are doing is <clears throat> they're re-indexing them to what they can run. So if they've got a seven flat index and they go 645, they'll come back with a 695 index. They can still make that half second. It, 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 even if they went even if they went 630, right? NHRA would move their index down only two tenths of a second, meaning they would still be able to run a half a second under their new index. NHRA's goal is to keep everybody at that half second under index sweet spot. And what I don't like about the way the program works is that so many guys in Comp Eliminator are holding because of that. Holding. Explain that. They're holding performance capabilities. They've got a car that's capable of running 620s, and they're out there clicking it at 1,000 feet just so they can stay in the 640 to 650 range so that their index does not get hit. But if you think about it, that's kind of the same thing as, say, oh, let's say super gas. There are super gas cars out there capable of running 180 miles an hour. The index is 890. They're capable of some of them running in the very low 8s. Kind of the same thing. It Not kinda really. is. And this is one of the things I don't like about Comp Eliminator and why it works that way. It's called the first one there wins class category, but at the same time it kinda brings the breakout deal along with it, sort of. Not real because they'll never get DQ'd for going too fast. Mm-hmm. They just get they just have incentive to not go fast. What I don't understand or Maybe I can't accept, or it's just not in me. I'm not the type of person to spend whatever I spend on a vehicle to make it capable of going this fast and then slow down forever more, keeping it slower than that. I don't get that. To me, yeah. racing is all about getting going all out. Yeah. And as, as a longtime drag racing enthusiast, <clears throat> I mean, I went to my first drag race in 1963 to watch TV Tommy Ivo race the Greek at San Gabriel. Back then, Man, you came to the line, you put your foot in, and you lifted after the finish line. That was it. And that's kind of stuck with me. That's why I like drag car. I also don't like having to look over at your opponent and go, wop, wop, wop. I think it's dangerous because my car runs 175 miles an hour. And I just don't like the idea of being on and off the throttle at that kind of speed. Most of the guys are very good at it. Don't get me wrong. But it's just not for me. Hell, I got to throw in a story here. And not to bring up any names, but I was listening to another podcast. I know a few months back, <clears throat> I threw something at you that I wrote. And it was after a top sportsman racer had lost his life. I remember. And I immediately thought it might have had something to do with just what you just now said. The interesting part was I wrote it. I threw it out. And then the next day. The racer he was racing, who was his friend, basically backed up my thoughts. I didn't know that. Yeah. They, so, without getting into the details of that particular case, it's funny because I'm listening to a podcast just the other day, and I'll be damned if not a very similar story pops up. And this one is... um. I don't think I have to keep it quiet because it's admitted. It's everything is out there. It's all known. The the guy 
uh, he w- and they hold. And these guys, they admit that they hold. This is part of their strategy. So he runs out. He knows he's going too fast. So he hits the brakes in a... It's an eighth mile car, runs seven four seven seventies in the eighth mile. Seven seven no four seventies, I'm sorry. Just pretty fast. He hits the brakes, loses control, rolls the car over, he's okay. Well that's that's one good thing. Half an hour later, he's back in a four forty car. Now he's learned his lesson and he admits it. And he admits that he got on the brakes and he admits that he shouldn't have. But my point is why can't we embrace a program that doesn't put you in that position we've all done it i don't know if you know let's say not all but i think most of us have i have i've scared the death out of myself it's funny thing because my rule for drag racing has always been never hit the brakes never hit the brakes however there was an incident back at speed world shortly after i first started drag car i went into a bracket race and Back then, I wasn't aware of these guys playing these games. And this was a particular deal where the guy I was racing was a spot dropper, which means that they pick a spot on the track and they lift there every time. At that point, no matter what. Right. So what happened was the car was actually faster than mine. And it had me a little bit screwed up going down the track because while I didn't think I snoozed, I was too far behind and I didn't understand why. And the car didn't feel like it was bad. But at a thousand foot, when I saw his front end drop and I started climbing all over him like he was going over backwards, I figured out what was going on. And at that point, I got a little bit angry. Definitely got, you know, somewhat, I don't know, I can't find the right word, aggravated. And it raised, I guess you would say, the adrenaline. So I developed a plan. I'm going to, when I get up alongside of this guy... I'm going to hammer the brakes because now when I get to him, I'm going to be running probably a good 20 miles an hour faster than he is. And so the the problem with that is it's very easy to take too much stripe in a bracket race when you pass somebody at that speed. Yeah. So the idea is to catch up alongside of him and then match his speed. And this is what I tried to do. And I did. The issue was, though, when I got into the speed traps, hit the brakes, the front end plowed into the ground. I didn't smoke the tires. I didn't lose control of the car. However, when I let go of the brake, the car came back up on the suspension and started rocking back and forth, and I damn near lost it. Mm. There, I saw a video that was done a couple years ago, and it involved um, Peter Biondo, I believe, and I don't believe it was Dan Fletcher, the senior. I believe it was the, the son. Junior, uh-huh. Both and superb bracket racers, we should superb add. Superb bracket racers. Definitely. Super respected. But you know what happened? Exactly what happened. What The only difference was he lost control of that car. Mm. And it did a 360 degree spin in the shutdown area. Oh, I hate it when that happens. And when, Well, and I took... I took a... It aggravated me. I looked at that and I said, look, in drag car that would never happen. Right? The way our format is, you're never gonna lose by going three thou under three hundreds under five hundreds under it doesn't matter you get there first you win you're not going to be put into a position where you want to slam on the brakes like that the thing that i took right off was half of the people that would comment on it because I, I believe that ended up it showed up on social media and there were lots of comments about it 
And the, some of the most, I think you can imagine, the, some of the, the first comments were jerk, spoiled, whatever. They were putting the guy down for what he was doing, basically saying that he's an idiot. And I'm saying no. He did what he did. I mean, that's what you do in bracket racing. He Somebody did. else told me that, well, they know how, how hard they can get on their brakes in their car. I said, yes, but you only learn that after exceeding that limit yeah. at some point. Yeah, experience <laughs> is the best teacher, and sometimes it's painful. There's no question. I I learned a lesson to, uh, the week before Christmas with my dragster down at Tucson in a private test session. Hmm. I uh, ran my dragster down. I thought it was faster than it was, but it, it ran 169. It was moving right along. But it was a private test session, so they only had one safety crew down at the other end instead of two. Usually there's a red truck at the first turnoff and a red truck at the second, and then I take the third. Well, there's a red truck at the second. As I go flying by, oh, there's the first turnoff. And you see what happened. I got to the end, and there wasn't another red truck, and there wasn't any more room. <laughs> and I realized very quickly if I tried to turn, I was going to roll the car. So I went into the kitty litter. I'll oh, admit did you? it. Oh, I went... I went about two cars in, you know. Wow. That stuff does stop you pretty quick, by the way. But I didn't said, hurt well, the car, did it? No. Good, good. Matter of fact, no, I did not hurt the car. The engine's still running. I said, well, I don't like being here. So I backed out, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was kind of funny because uh, a big old rooster tail. But, you know, if you're ever in something like that, it's very hard to push or pull something like that out because it digs in. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll just back out and save them the trouble. So I backed up and parked it against the wall completely freaked out the poor safety car how'd you get out i backed out what nobody's ever done that. <laughs> we took the car back to the pits and we wiped it down and did some more running but uh i learned my lesson i hope i, I don't want to do that again but anybody can make a mistake at any time I, I, right. I, I i bet you if john force was sitting here he'll tell you he's made some mistakes too or don garlitz or any of them indeed the the secret is to minimize the effects of that mistake and that's one of the nice things about drag car, you run it out the back door. Now, granted, I beat Ron Shelley, your current champion one year down at Tucson, because he got a little bit loose and I went blowing by him. Yeah, I backed off the throttle. Yep. Because I knew that I had I had him covered, but I didn't I didn't hit the brakes, you know. Right. And I my car's got carbon fiber brakes anyway. If they aren't hot, it's not going to stop me very well. Anyway, so another uh, neat aspect to our program goes back to our um, second race this season where we picked up a new member, Katie Webb. Good. And she ended up running me in third round. And for whatever reason, I still don't know what's wrong with my car, but it didn't leave the starting line. At all? It did. It just didn't, I, it leave, just didn't leave the way it was supposed to. When I nailed it and let go of the brake, it just didn't do what it was supposed to do. I It, it gave the feeling of either spinning the tires or slipping the transmission. So I immediately lifted and just drove the car down the track. And she in a slower car expecting me to come blowing by her she stayed on it and in a bracket race you would say that she made a mistake because she ran 753 this was an eighth mile deal she ran 753 on her 755 which in drag car that's perfectly fine mm -hmm. and she took the win and one of the things that i've always hated the most about bracket racing is if that was a bracket race i would be the one coming back for the next round because she would have broken out. Yeah, and I just don't. I don't. I don't feel that that's right. the The racer who did a better job should go to the next round. I obviously failed big time. Yeah, you had a car problem, <laughs> so that wasn't exactly your failure. But yeah, I know what you're saying. The thought is still there, and every time we lose, it doesn't matter who you are, 
whether you're racing top fuel, whether you're racing a 16-second stocker, when you lose a race, you tend to uh, find, you know, you're bummed. You find the recriminations are going on. You know, well, what happened here? What did I do wrong? And that's part of the sport, any sport. The secret is to learn from it. And we do. In bracket racing, we do learn from it. However, what we learn is tricks. Yeah. And that's one thing I can't figure out is why so many bracket racers insist on holding. Again, holding means that they're dialing considerably slower than what they're capable of running. I think they do it because, A, they know everybody else or a lot of the other racers are doing it, and they figure that's one way of helping to ensure that they win. I, that's It's kind of like NASCAR cheaters, you know? Well, everybody's doing it. I may as well do it, too, you know? Not and that's why I'm analogy, scratching my head, because in, in the case of the guy that I told you that rolled his dragster, the, the deal was both of those guys were playing the same game. Yeah. They were both holding a couple of hundredths of a second, and they both knew they had to drop, which they both did. And I'm... If your car doesn't repeat, that's a reason for holding. Okay? If you got a car, you ran 698 in time trials, and you know the car might go 698, but you also know it might go 702. You know the car won't make the same number time after time again. That's a reason for holding. I get that. But these guys typically claim that their car will repeat to within a hundredth of a second all night long. And some of them will. And some of them will. And so in that case, I don't understand the real purpose to holding. If you're confident in the car, then why are you holding back something as an insurance policy. I hate to say it, but it's just because that's the way it's done. You yeah, know, I think a lot of it is that tradition, maybe not tradition isn't the right word, but it's because every, and, and the peer pressure too, even though it's not direct peer pressure, but everybody else is doing that and they're winning. So if I do it, maybe I'll win. Who knows? I've decided that I think it goes back to, the racer and how they think or, or don't think as the case may be no I, no i won't say that they they think definitely they're thinking i think it has to do with what they call a race for example for me a race is a race we're both on the mat all the way across the finish line and definitely the best race is when that happens and you're only a bumper apart from each other that yeah. is so exciting my first race with drag car was at tucson and that's exactly what happened. This yeah. is in my old car. And, and I walk up and I say, who, who am I going to run? You go, Ken Passerby. Now, we're talking to a guy who has won nationals, has won divisionals, is one of the best bracket racers. And I was just going, oh, man. If I'd been on time, I would have beat him. But yeah. I wasn't. And we crossed the finish line. I had no idea who'd won. It was, I knew it was a good race. You so know, I wasn't that disappointed. That's a good example of why, where drag car might be a little bit better than bracket racing as far as an option for a racer. Because here you are charging down on him at about a 40 mile an hour clip in a bracket race. Uh, okay. And now here is a reason that in that situation, you might be a guy that wants to hold. The reason why is because if you hold a tenth of a second or so, you can lift much sooner. You're going to catch him a lot sooner. You can lift a lot sooner. Yeah. You're not going to be in a dangerous position where you might even be tempted to touch the brakes. Yeah. So that's where 
I can see a reason for holding in bracket racing because he was in a 12-second car while you were in a 8-second car? Mid-8-second car. On the other side of the coin, the guy's out there four seconds on you, and what's he going to be doing? He's going to be in high gear from 660 on, looking over his shoulder, trying to keep tabs on you. Well, actually, at first, he's probably seeing you in the rearview mirror. You're yeah. that far behind. And but there's a point where he disappears out of your blind spot. Now he's turning his head. He's running 110 miles an hour, looking not where he's going, yeah. looking for you. Never liked that idea. I don't either. I hate it. And for me, if I were to have to have that happen in my old car, I could turn my head maybe a degree and a half either way. I I have no option. I'm not looking anywhere. I I can only look straight ahead. But most most cars they can look around and see. And I, you look look at some of the events and you watch these guys down at the other end. Both of them are not looking where they're going. They're right. looking at each other playing the game. That's and right. That's just I have a problem with that. I do too. It just it's another way of doing things. I like the drag car program. I really think racers uh, here in Arizona should come out and give it a try because. Unfortunately, it's not like the old days of when I first started announcing at Speed World, and there was a race at Speed World and at Firebird and at Tucson when Tucson was running then every single weekend, yep. sometimes two times a weekend. That's now, right. we're lucky to race a good race maybe twice a month. Yeah. And uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. It's There's nobody to blame. It's just the way it is now. But uh, for most hardcore racers, heck, we'd go racing every weekend. We used to. We liked doing that. You know? I did. And I miss that. I do, too. Uh, of course, I was racing an 18-second Camry at the time. It was a little different, you know. But Hey, you know what? <clears throat> I'm going to stray off the subject right now. Good. Because I know, I don't remember when we met. I know that you've been a part of drag cars since day one as you came on as a sponsor for the very first race back I at did. Speed World. Your memory's better than mine. Yeah. Of course, everybody's memory is better than mine at my age. But I, I started announcing at Speed World not long after I moved to Arizona, which was, I think, 92. And I went out there and met this big, tall guy with a blonde ponytail shoving drums around and told him I, you know, I'd like to come out and start announcing. And he kind of, okay, yeah, fine. But it, it just didn't work out. And I went out to watch Sifco run one night. Okay. Back then it was called the California Independent Funny Car Association. Yeah. And uh, eight, let's see, 760. Well, then they ran 750 index, but it's an index class, funny cars. I've always liked the program. I know it was a great show and I knew a lot of the guys. Went under the tower because... The guy doing the announcing didn't seem to me like he really knew much about funny cars. And so I said, walked up and I said, hey, uh, would you like to take a break? I, I, I'll do the funny cars for you. I know the guys. I'll do this stuff. And uh, he was said, that, sure. Was that Dave Holm back no, then? No, no, no. Okay. This guy named Roger. He was a high school teacher. Oh. Only met him once. This is, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing for him in a way. But he got up. I sat down, took the mic and started talking. And the gal operating the computer, while Roger was still in the room, turned to me and goes, oh, you've got such a great voice. You should be announcing. I felt about an inch high, you know, but that's Bob heard me and I got the job immediately. Wow. And uh, I think first when I, I met you, I didn't really meet you, but you were racing the, the Cold of Arms Mustang, which, of course, you've had since dirt. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I think you started with that thing with knobbies on it. And... Uh, 
you were one of our regular bracket racers, and then you came up with this program. And but as to when that was, I couldn't tell you. A long time ago. I ran. Well, you've had nine. What'd you say? Nine seasons, seven years. We doing this? We started. So the first the first race we had was at Speed World in 2011. Okay. And um, yeah, we're on our ninth season now. Wow. Miss that place. I do too. You know. Uh, I travel around quite a bit going to races, and I have yet to go to a place where if I mention I worked at Speed World, somebody doesn't go, oh, I miss that place so much, you know. But we got a lot. It's gone, but we got just great memories, and any time racers get together to talk about Speed World, it's always good memories. Good, fun place. Uh, I saw Victoria Griffey over the weekend. She put on the party for the Junior Dragsters for last year's team and we had a lot of fun and most of those people raced at speed world and, and and we're still racing we're still doing it you know i grew up at that track yeah yeah and we the, i was actually there in 74 mm-hmm. and, wow um my first race was in 83 wow. at that track in the mustang the same one i raced today really? yeah well the uh when the state and county shut us down and i'll, I'll add for purely political reasons. Uh, we were the oldest continually operating drag strip in the country. 51 years. February 19th, 2013. That well, was it. Well, I have to throw some dirt on that. I mean, yeah, it was the oldest track, but there actually was a downtime for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't very long. No, I think it was only about a year. Um, was that between, between uh, Mel and... The Donnellys or where, no? Was? In, after, I believe it. It was in between Donnelly and Curly. Okay. Um. So the long, the pony hair, the ponytail guy was mm-hmm. Bob Curly, right? Yeah. Yeah. What happened was when OCIR shut down. Charlie Allen brought that operation into Phoenix at, and opened Firebird Raceway, and right. we were all ecstatic. We are going to get a drag strip because Beeline Dragway. You know, everybody reminisces about it and talks about how great it was, but it was not favored by racers from out of the state. Mm-hmm. The The track conditions weren't that great. Mm-hmm. Um, and Phoenix Dragway was worse. There was a time, this was in, in the 80s, probably 83, where I had, it was not uncommon that you would hit chuck holes in the shutdown area. And there were cows, cattle would cross in the shutdown area. There used to be a T-shirt that I wish somebody still had it. I'm sure somebody in this city still has it. There used to be a Phoenix Dragway excuse T-shirt. And it had all these excuses listed on the front of the T-shirt. And one of them was, there was a cow in my lane. (laughs) Well, I will absolutely guarantee you that this did happen. Uh, The late Tim Gee was our head of security. And one night I'm announcing, and he goes, hold it up, hold it up. Crap, we got cows all over the place. It was open range. (laughs) There was no fence down there at the time. And I hopped in my car and went down, and there were. And we herded cattle out the gate and off the racetrack at the other end. Yeah. Fortunately, not long after that, we got got fencing. That was uh, up in the 90s then, you're talking. And that's scary. You don't want to hit a cow at 120 miles an hour. Oh no. No. <laughs> well, you came after you came after Bob took it over. So what yes. happened was when when Firebird came to town, um most of us were so happy that we had that, you know, we didn't we ran Phoenix Dragway, but we didn't love it because it was bad. 
There was a time I hit a chuck, I hit a chuck hole in the shutdown area. I always took the first turn. This particular time after hitting a chuck hole, I passed the first turn because I ended up getting off the brakes and I passed the first turn. And what I saw after that just blew my mind because Dean Carter used to run a front engine dragster very similar to your digger, your Tigger's digger. Yeah, it was his old car. Yeah. And he was almost always the number one qualifier for the fast eight running eight something. I can't remember Mm -hmm. 880s or 860s. You know that car was going down past the first turn. Sure. Well, I went down past the first turn, and after going past the first turn, the 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 shutdown area itself started to narrow very quickly, and it, as it got narrower and narrower, I could hear more and more gravel being slung up into the fender wells of the car till the, to the point where I got to the end. There was no asphalt. This was a gravel road. Yeah, this is before we... It got lengthened to barely the- about two lanes wide. And then when I made the turn to come back the return road, it was a desert road. Bumps and hills and trees scratching across the car. <laughs> Sounds like the old Stardust Raceway because it was exactly the same really? way. Oh, yeah. So that was when Donnelly owned it. So when Firebird came to town, and don't get me wrong, I don't got nothing bad to say about Donnelly. You know, he kept us in racing for a long time after Beeline closed. Firebird came to town and we had a palace. So we all flocked over there. And I think that's what happened. I think everybody just left Phoenix Dragway and it ended up shutting down. Mm. But when Bob Curley took it over, we heard what was going on. We heard it. Oh, he's putting, he's repaving it. He's, he's, he's putting a concrete launch pad. He's, he's putting a, a ticket booth for your time slips. He's paving the return road. He's putting a a scale. You didn't didn't have a time slip booth at those days? No. We used to run up to the tower. Oh, that tube that went down. There was a, folks, if you've never been in the tower, there was a piece of plastic pipe about five inches in diameter right next to where the time slip printer was and they would drop it and it would go down into a little trough right next to where the concession stand was. That's right. I remember that. And they'd post it up on a, they'd post all the time slips up there. Yeah. With thumbtacks or whatever. Yeah. And you'd go up, give your car number, they'd give you your time slip. Wow. Yeah, the old days. Um, so anyways, we heard of all that was going on good. And so I couldn't wait because my mind said, wow, now we're going to have two great drag strips in town. But the bummer part was that before that track ever even opened, there was this um, separation going on in, in the city. There was guys who was just flat out say I am not going to that track and I couldn't understand why and ever since Bob opened that track that you're well aware of it because I know it was it was heavy when you started there was this Firebird crowd us us versus them and a Phoenix crowd and and most of the time the two wouldn't you wouldn't see Phoenix racers over at Firebird you wouldn't see Firebird racers over at Phoenix well let's be honest Jeff to a certain extent that continued right up to the time it was closing. But that's not, some of that is not unusual. I mean, I've been in many towns where there's t- three motocross tracks in town. There was the Saddleback crowd, there was the Carlsbad crowd, and there was the Indian Dunes crowd. And even though it wasn't a very big run, you just didn't go there. Of course, part of that is because if you're winning at the one track, <laughs> you don't want to take a chance on not winning at the other one. There's always been a lot of that. But you're right. When I first came there, it was a very, very pronounced separation. Yeah. yeah, it's a weird deal. I can never figure it out because I used to go to them both. There was a time when 
Firebird would be open on Wednesday <clears throat> to run. You guys, today it's called Test and Tune. But back then, it was just called Wednesday Night Drags, and there was always a gambler. Yeah. And then Phoenix Dragway had... Uh, did Firebird have a gambler regularly when they, they did, did that? They yeah. did, okay. Yeah. And that was my, I knew my plan. Did. I didn't make much money. I still don't make much money. But back then, I would go to Firebird and run on Wednesday night. It was so cool. I think it was... 10 bucks to get in the gate and 10 bucks to get in the gambler. Oh boy, those were the good old days. Oh, indeed. And I'd run the gambler. And if I won a runner up at the gambler, then I had money to go had race money on Saturday. To, go to, to, to Speed World. Or, and if well, I didn't Phoenix win on the Raceway gambler, Park. I'd go to Phoenix Dragway and run their Friday night gambler. Yeah. And the same thing. And then it was so common that one of the tracks would be running on Saturday while the other one was running on Sunday. And we would hit them all. Yeah. Well, the right time of year, we we were always able to do that. Now, of course... You have, or towards the end, Speed World ran their grudge program on Saturday nights. You know, they're testing two on Saturday nights, and I think Firebird was doing it on Friday nights. Yeah. but Which helped. Yeah. But uh, times change, you know. Uh, I like to point out to people that uh, what when I started going to the drags in 1963, the fuel cars were going low eights at uh, 175 maybe 180 miles an hour that wouldn't even qualify for pro stock anymore <laughs> i mean not even close it's true to pro stock you know and uh and now the fuel cars eight or eight three six two with some change at 338 for the dragsters and 339 for the funny cars yeah at only three quarter track yeah yeah that thousand foot interesting thing is trying to explain to people who are not drag racers well wait a minute this this funny car thing how come they're faster than the dragsters and of course you have to go to explain about downforce and all that good stuff but uh what robert height and, and has accomplished twice at 339.84 and ron caps has gone 338 or 39 too and it's it boggles the mind there's also the talk that if we ever anybody goes 340 it's over. Really? The insurance, uh, the, the tire companies will, the Goodyear will pull out. Wow. And, yeah. Well, of course, you know, rumors are, aren't worth much, but that would be a scary thing too. I and then to there's the nitromethane, nitromethane issue now all coming from China and they are just hosing us on the price of nitro. Every shipment, it's going up. No kidding. Oh yeah. A uh, 55 gallon drum now is almost $1,600. And here's a crazy thing. I'll probably get in trouble with, with uh, Homeland Security on this one. The rule says if you have the smaller size drum, the 43-gallon drum or whatever it is that NHRA uses, it's that size because it's under 400 pounds. Right. If it's under 400 pounds, you, Jeff, can go buy a drum and keep it at your house. If it's over that, the 55-gallon drum is 480 pounds or 500 quart, whatever. It's supposed to be you have to go to school go to a class i should say you have to be certified by homeland security uh you're the only one allowed to touch the drum uh you have to be in a in a barbed wire enclosure 24-hour day lights and stuff my question is wouldn't a 43 gallon drum of nitro blow up a building just as quick as a 55 gallon drum yeah let's hear it for the wonderful world of bureaucrats yeah. <laughs> anyway, I I'm thought sorry. you were going to say it had to deal with DOT and how much you could transport. No, I, that's not an issue. Wow. Not an issue. 
So, but I hey. said I wasn't going to get into politics. All right, so, so I won't. this is a question for me to you, because as I say, so now, anyway, so so you, we've known each other since before Drag Car, as I was racing and you were announcing already back at Phoenix Dragway, and I've learned that you come from motocross announcing background, right? But I, now you just stated that you you've got. You've touched into drag racing way back, so let's hear a little bit about where you came from. Well, I grew up in Southern California. I was born in Oakland, but we moved to Southern California when I was a kid. And one day in the newspapers, and by now I was already taking Hot Rod Magazine. I started taking that in 62, so I knew what drag racing was, but I wasn't a big, big fan yet. I'd never been. I saw in the newspaper that some guy named the Greek was going to race some guy named TV Tommy. No idea who these people were. But it was at San Gabriel, old, what we now call Old San Gabe, alongside the six, what is now the 605 freeway. And I conned my dad into going. My dad was always interested in cars, but he was never a fanatic about it like I was. And we went, and I, I remember it was cool, but I remember nothing of the match race because one car just grabbed me so hard and that was the old 554 Mooney Hammond Sharp 34 Ford Coupe. And seeing that thing thunder through at 170 miles an hour, and we found it in the pits, and it was still just reeking of this really pungent, nasty smelling stuff that stung my eyes, I was hooked right there. That was it. That was the start. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I've been kind of an addict ever since now. Did you start racing at all back oh, then? Oh, no. I, I was only like. 14, 13, okay. 14, maybe 15. Well, 63, I would have been 15, okay. I guess. Didn't have my driver's license yet. And uh, didn't really race until, oh, I was almost 19. Had a 50 Chevy with a fastback with a built six-cylinder. Used to go to sometime to Lions, mostly to, to uh, went to Palmdale occasionally. Uh, went to Irwindale a lot and went to Fontana a lot. Uh, it was quite a drive, but... It was a neat place to race. Mickey Thompson was running the, the track, I think, at that time. And, and my fastest ever run, which was a 1696 at 80 and a half, and the hood came off in the lights. <laughs> and I went flying around. And the guy who's supposed to be watching was sitting in the back of a pickup truck drinking a beer. And he hadn't even seen it. I said, dude, my hood. I didn't say dude. We didn't say dude back then. But I said, hey, my my hood just came off. They were already running the next pair, you know. I uh, went back to the pits and I threw my toolbox in the back seat and got the heck out of there. I didn't want to deal with it. But uh, it was fun, you know. That's cool. I, I have. See, I didn't one... know you did racing back then. Oh, yeah. I really didn't know you did anything before you the, the little deer yeah. out here. And back then, bracket racing, you set your dial, and that was it. Right. But you That's were right. allowed, I th was it a tenth cushion? You had a cushion. You know, you could you could go under a little bit and not break out. But you also weren't supposed to hit your brakes. Right. Well, the 50 Chevy was real easy to access the, the liftoff you know, connectors switch. for the brake switch. <laughs> you just had to remember to put them on before you went home. Yeah. <laughs> on the six, on the... Uh, well, actually, it was out Foothill Boulevard back then, but uh, it was fun times, but I always wanted a dragster, and I moved here to Phoenix, 1992, I think it was, and started working at the drag strip, and uh, by now, I'm supporting the team, by the Summit ET Series team, by racing my Camry, uh, back in 18-second cars again, 
and it was fun. I went to a couple finals. I never finished out of the top 10. I was in the top four a couple of years just by being consistent and being there and got to know this wonderful group of racers here in Arizona, you know, and many of those friendships endure to this day. I don't think too many of them remember the, the uh, white Camry I used to run, but whatever. Uh, and I met a guy named Kent Eberhardt, Katie Eberhardt, and he had a front engine dragster. And through him, I met a wonderful guy by the name of Joe Iverson, hmm. who had the uh, Gas House Gang 2 car, full-bodied front-engine dragster, and I started helping him. I was the tr- I'm the Torco distributor for Arizona, so I was helping him with oil, and we'd go racing and just had a lot of fun. We'll talk about that car more in another podcast because it's a long story. Yeah, but, I love uh, that car. Yeah, I just arranged for that car to be sold and went to a famous top gas racer out of Southern California. He just restored it to his own car, which is pretty cool. Anyway, mm. so I wanted a car, and then Kent put his car up for sale. He, I'm not sure why. Saw an ad in the Republic, front-engine dragster for sale, and the price was fair. It was $4,700 less engine and converter. When was this? Well, I don't know. It's been a long time ago. You, you remember, Jeff. Like mid-90s? or I'm 74 going on 20 on a good day. So, <laughs> No, good day. I'm 20. Uh, it would have been late 90s. No, maybe oh. maybe even, even later than that. Oh, okay. And I bought the car. Didn't have any money left for, a, for an engine, but it took a while and got the car running. And in that car, which we call Tigger's Digger after a cat I had named Tigger, yes, who liked it. He used to go out and sit on the cowl and sun herself in the sun there. Uh, and we uh, ran a best at the Heritage Race. Last, the last, I think it was the last Heritage Race we ran here at at uh, Wildhurst. I ran eight forty seven with a nine at a hundred and almost fifty six miles an hour. I was pretty happy with that. It's a handful to drive. Um, it didn't have much of a windscreen. So there's a lot of head buffeting going on. Oh. And then just recently I bought uh, a 204-inch Spitzer car. Beautiful car. I'm just amazed. What year was this car built, the Spitzer? The Spitzer's 2004. My first car okay. was a, was an old top fuel car that we don't know the history on. It was, oh, it's it, an old school car. I love it, it. Oh, yeah. 1968. No way. Yeah. Wow. Car's older than you, right? No. Nope. About the same age. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and a uh, little short little car, and it's and I reason I got a new car, it's just gotten awfully hard for me to get into that little car. I only had an 18-inch wide cage. Yeah, it's little. Which is small. And uh, I had a lot of fun with that car. Again, met a lot of wonderful people. And the new car, I've been 804 at 100 and just under 175. And, uh, and there's more there. Oh, yeah. The car's been 686 at 200, I guess. Mike Avey. Uh, Aerojet Services is who I bought the car from, and it's it's a nice piece. It really is. Yeah, and uh, and it's got a full big windshield like the fuel cars do now. It's like driving a Cadillac, man. My head doesn't move around, really? you know. And there's five inches on either side of me in the in the in the seat. Us door car guys don't have a clue what you're talking about. We never would have thought about our heads getting hit by the wind. <laughs> We well, just assumed yeah. that the little spoiler that was there did enough. Well, like I say, I'll talk about the dragsters and you talk about the door cars and we'll, we'll do just fine. Right on. And we're planning on covering a wide variety of subjects and cars and everything like that in upcoming episodes, I know. Uh, theoretically, there's a long list of topics we want to talk about. Yep. And with, we don't even really need to stay right on drag car. I, I do want to get more of the drag car out there for people to understand it. Sure. When's our... Ne- 
well, should we say when our next race is? Because we don't know when yeah. this podcast is going to come. When is it? March. Yeah. Uh, March 7th. Okay. At Wild Horse Pass. And then the week after, we'll be in Tucson on March 14th. Another thing. I almost forgot. One nice thing about Drag Car is you get to choose the amount of money you want to spend to participate in the program. You're still doing that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a graduated entry. The more you pay to enter, the more you potentially win. Yeah. And some people always go for the big one. And me, as somebody who doesn't generally get past the second round, I just go for 10 or $20. You can go up to $50. But it's neat because the more you pay, the more you win. That That's pretty cool, I think. Another unique feature of drag car. Yeah, it is. I'm surprised. I'm surprised it doesn't pick up in, in other bracket racing programs. I mean, I just took it off of the, the slot machine layout. You know, when you mm-hmm. go to a slot machine, you get to choose how many coins you want to drop and how many games you're playing in that one role. Um, and it was just a way to get, okay, you've got racers who won't come out and race for less than a certain amount of money. Right. And then you've got other racers who they don't got it. If it's more than 20 bucks, they're not showing up. Yeah. So it was just a way that I figured we needed to improve the car counts. And there's another reason. Years ago when I was helping Jerry Hutchcroft with the drag, uh, with the uh, Big Bucks Bracket Series, uh-huh. he got he was talking to a regular racer. And Jerry asked him, are you going to come out for big bucks this weekend? And he goes, heck no, I'm not going to race Kyle Seipel. I haven't got a chance against him. I got to think, what do you mean race Kyle Seipel? Just because he's in the other lane in bracket racing, you're not racing the other guy. You're racing the clock. Yeah. And some racers still do not understand that concept. They get all freaked out because Kyle or any or Seth Palvador or any whoever, you know, naming some, some really good racers. Uh they put their pants on one leg at a time. You know? There's a funny story about Kyle with me. Uh-huh. It's funny. I mean, he and, and I and don't... We should explain. Kyle Seipel is the son of the track, our longtime track operator at Sears Point, Georgia Seipel, and, and very... And very, Yes, and Kyle. And very, very, very good bracket racer. Oh, and yeah. now he's a promoter. When I... And when I, when I, you know, when I started driving, they were already big names. Yes. And I re- there was a race, I believe it was a Friday Night Gambler at Phoenix Dragway. And do you remember Tim Donnelly? Sure. Right? Cause he, he was, was there. our starter. Well, so, you know what? This was already, you might have already been there. I probably during was. During this time. There was a Friday Night Gambler. I was running my Torino, if you remember that car. No. The psychedelic paint job. Sort of. Um, and I was racing a guy in the other lane. And here's the funny part. I didn't know how to say disciple name. When I read it, I saw Seeple. Okay. Right? I beat some guy in the other lane. I came back for my next round, and Tim Donnelly came up to me. He's like, man, I can't believe you put that guy. You sent that guy home. I'm like, what's the big deal? He's like, that's Kyle Seipel. I said, so? Who's so? Kyle Seipel? <laughs> he said, you know, the guy from Cal. I said, oh, Seeple. He says, Seipel. I'm like, wow, that was Kyle Seipel? Well... Yeah, I get to brag that I beat Kyle Seipel, but here's the thing. He was out here for the Nationals, and it was a rental car that they drove over to Phoenix Dragway. Oh. <laughs> hey, <laughs> but at one of the Big Bucks races, Kyle and his buddy came to that with rental cars and and went to the final. So yeah, they, it can be done Yeah, when you know your stuff. And, and the big thing is, I'm not really a Dale Earnhardt fan, senior, but he said something once. Somebody asked him, how do I get to be as good as you? What's the secret? 
he said, practice, practice, practice. Yeah. And boy, truer words about racing were never, ever said. It's true. It's absolutely true. That's part of the reason I'm having a trouble with this new, not trouble, but some issues with this new car. I don't have enough seat time. You in don't it get enough seat time. I don't. And, You're and, too busy. Yeah. Well, you know. Announced the Junior Dragster Divisional yesterday. We, boy, we had a great time at Wild Horse. The weather was awesome. Some fantastic uh, racing. We had three, two racers and three runs where they ran the number with a zero. S- 7.900 or whatever it was and lost. Mm. And one young man lost twice. Once in his class and once in, in the uh, Junior Comp category. Mm. Wow. That's when racing gets tough. Don't don't ever tell me junior dragsters aren't hardcore racers. They are every bit as hardcore, and I salute every one of them just as much. The problem is I have to choose the best appearing car, and man, in juniors, that's tough. There's so many gorgeous cars out there. Of course, yeah. it costs a lot less to make a wrap for a junior dragster than it does for a full-size car. But there's just some gorgeous cars, very dedicated, very dedicated racers. And those are the kids that grow up to be champions. Look how many. Grant Langston, um, uh, Richie Stevens, Erica Enders, um, uh, um, J.R. Todd. They all race junior dragsters. Did they? Interesting thing is they'll all tell you, uh, uh, and Leah Pritchett, they'll all tell you, I didn't do that well in junior dragster. Yeah. But they got the basics, you know. And parents, if you're listening... You can pick up a used junior dragster for a very reasonable amount of money and go racing and have fun. It's probably the safest youth-oriented sport there is, really. It is the safest, in my opinion. Yeah. I have In all the years I've been doing, I've seen exactly one crash, and that is when, at Denver, when a chain came off and the lights and locked up, and the car rolled over and she was out of the car before the ambulance guy had the car turned on, you know. Are you familiar with the... Uh junior situation down in australia yeah they had a bad accident there but but the accident as i understand the accident had nothing to do with the driver a failure on the driver's part or on the car's part it was a situation where um she had made a decision for whatever reason the car wasn't stopping she wanted, and, and according to the father, they believe that she had already decided to take the car into the sand. Oh. Because it was just going. Not stopping, yeah. And, and wasn't it her first race? No, I oh. think it was her like final, final license pass or something oh, to that okay. effect. And um, it was actually what they call, what do they call that? We would call it a track crew member here. Mm-hmm. They call it something else down there. Of he course. Was, telling her to get off the track and I really don't know the details but my imagination has me believing that he was he was telling her to get off the track instructing her to do something that she didn't wasn't planning to do and was going too fast to oh do she it. was she was planning on going straight saw him say turn and yeah. she did yeah and my the way I imagine it um, she ended up hitting straight head on into the concrete barrier oh that'll do it and that is the one death that ever has been in in juniors yeah. and, and it, it wasn't it really wasn't something that anybody would ever plan so there has been you know there's been some instruction to the people down there who direct the, the tracks and now this has to do with the new 
rule for juniors this year with the Hans device. Mm-hmm. That's where that comes from. Yeah. But well, kind of what bothers me down there is there's still a big thing going on. They still are giving the parents grief over why would you put your kid in that car, something so dangerous. Oh, but there's, you know, there's always hand ringers and do-gooders mm. are going to interfere. I mean, people think there's some people that are absolutely opposed to letting their sons or daughters race, even in the, the, the junior high school category where they're limited on car you know, can't have fast cars and everything because they think it's dangerous. Let me tell you, folks, your kid is a lot safer driving at the drag strip than he is driving to the drag strip Damn or right. home from school. Yeah. You know, we were all 16. Yeah. Really? Huh? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. you. Too do. <laughs> it's too long ago for me to remember. So, hey, we have fun with this stuff. And, and in episodes to come which i can't promise will come out on any regular schedule but uh, we'll do them frequently or when we find something notably something worthwhile talking about well we can give some more details on some of the aspects of drag car and how it's run um and other aspects of the sport too we'd like to talk to some of some of the people who race with drag car to see what they like about it uh, I think here in the immediate future, we are going to talk with Arizona's newest top fuel driver. We only have one at this oh, time. Oh, yes. We got to talk to him. Yeah. Especially since he's my partner on the car. And Jim our Mar- number one sponsor. Yes. Our number one sponsor for drag car. That's Jim Maroney and the American uh, American Flotech team. We will be racing at Wild Horse this weekend. A brand new car for us. We've got four, eight... 11 runs on the car yet. We've almost qualified at uh, Los Angeles last year. Qualified 17th, ran a 397 at uh, 298. And boy, let me tell you, you think tuning a tuning your Mustang is, is challenging and not hurting any parts. Wow. <laughs> but we, we have a great crew. It's a almost all volunteer crew. Our only paid guy is the legendary Johnny West, Arizona tuner he is on driver. The team. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. And he's got a new double A fuel altered that he's gonna bring out to the Arizona Racers Reunion, which is coming up March twenty eighth, if I'm not mistaken, at the go kart track up there at Pinnacle Peak and what is it, forty third Avenue. They're changing locations this year. He'll oh. have he'll have his car out for that. Uh, who will? Jim Johnny or, or jo- Johnny, Johnny will. Oh, Johnny okay. will. And if I had anything to say about it, I'd have Jim Ring's car, but it's more oriented towards the nostalgia type cars. Yeah. But then I've also I've found that if you have a top fuel car, actually if you've got a dragster, you can go anywhere and you'll get a crowd. I never really have to worry about getting people to help me with the dragster because everybody wants to help with a dragster or a funny car or an altered or something like that, you know? If we can be there. If we can be there, we yeah. will. Drag car will be there March eleventh. Uh, no, March 7th at Wild March Horse March 7th Pass. at Wild Horse and the following week at Tucson, Tucson Dragway. Uh, even if you don't want to try and race it, come out and check it out. You know, watches. one thing about it is to me in my in my belief is that I think it's more exciting to watch. Even though it really does look a lot like bracket racing, the difference is the first car that gets there wins and yeah. you know it. And they run it out the back door. Yeah, there's yeah. no... There's no trying to figure out or trying to explain to somebody how come that car lost when he got there first. Yeah. I'm looking forward to a little more warmth in the weather here, and I'm going to I'm gonna try and go 180. I think that's about uh, that's about the end of, of where I want to go. Are you uh, going to be able to make the March race? We'll just have to see. Oh, I hope just you can do it. Just have to see. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, especially the one here in town. But, you know, uh, we got Dylan Smith out there, and he's just 
Oh, he's whooping. Race after race after race, he keeps racking up that number one well, qualifier. We need somebody no, to give him some no, competition. I can, I can smoke him there. I know that. <laughs> Dylan's a Dylan's a good racer, though. He can't. He come from the junior dragster yep, ranks. That's one of our guys that came from the juniors. Um, yep. We tried to run the junior dragster program. Uh, I think we ran it for two years, and um, the goal was to get the juniors to see drag car and understand how it functioned before. Before they became thoroughly molded into the breakout system. Right. Yeah. And it worked for the uh, Dylan Smith and Cody Nelson. Yeah. But the and problem we had was there was so many juniors we couldn't get to show up and yeah, give it a conflict of dates and everything like that. <laughs> Dylan has a has a cookie cutter. Uh, that's why I call it cookie cutter rear engine car. That's pretty consistent. Runs steadily. He's had some mechanical issues this last year or so, but. Still, he's he's been your number one qualifier most of the time. I think. Hey, you got to give kudos to the kid. He he yeah. went. Uh, he won the junior drag star. Yep. Title for 2018, and then he jumped right into the big car and he won the top comp drag star title yep. last year. Yep. So we'll get him on here maybe to talk to him. Yeah. And he, his dad. He he and his dad are from Canada originally. Yeah, you can hear it when they talk. Yeah. Well, hey. his dad, anyways. Yeah. Yeah, they really enjoy going to drag car, eh? We're <laughs> teasing. <do>. We're teasing. <laughs> I haven't heard him say that, but it's just the way you, that they say certain words that you can tell it's a Canadian accent. Yes, and the word is anything without in it. Yeah, because it's oot. That's right. But that also applies to Minnesota and Wisconsin, that's to, true. but to a lesser extent. Right. Okay, now that we've covered the vagrancies of and the differences between languages of different parts of the country. <laughs> I think maybe we ought to wrap this issue up. Sounds good. But we appreciate you listening. Um, if you'd like to find more information about Drag Car, Jeff, tell them where they can go to get more information on the web. USDragCar.com. That's the Drag Car website. And, of course, you can look it up on Facebook. <clears throat> and there's also a there's a Facebook page, right? Yeah, there's there's a couple of pages. It ha- it's the way Facebook operates, so we've got a number. there. Just If you just search American Drag Car on Facebook... You can find us in any, either one that pops up. You'll get American Drag Car Post, which is primarily our news page or group. It's a group page. And then there's American Drag Car. That one, you have to like it to be able to see what pops up on it. it, So, yeah. And if I recall correctly, if you have questions, there's a way to access email for you or texting for you or something like that. And you always get back to them. Yes, we have a number. uh, So questions you can there's there's tech at usdragcar.com all of the all of the email contacts are on the website and does the website have a a basic explanation of the rules and procedure as well we do yeah there's a there's a a rules um page on the website so we have a number of categories but i think i've taken the other ones that we're not running primarily out of the website right now so you should but just look for comp star or comp star eliminator Okay. And that's the rules that you're interested in seeing right now for the programs that we're running this year. Good. It's definitely worth a try. It's a lot of fun, and uh, we look forward to seeing you. If you do come out and race with us some night, come up to the sign-up and say, hey, I heard about you guys on the podcast. That would yeah. be very cool. That will yeah. make Jeff and I feel real noteworthy or something. Well, like it wasn't a total waste of time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Hal Sanguinetti and... Jeff Safranik. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.